0: Let us pray. Father, in this holy season of Lent, we pray that you would draw us close to you. That, Father, you would remind us profoundly of the reality that we're dependent upon you for life and breath, and for our very sustenance, and for our salvation. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone this morning, and thank you all for a wonderful Ash Wednesday and a right start of Lent, and I was just so pleased. We had as many people um, between our four services on Ash Wednesday as is our average Sunday attendance right now, and that just warmed my heart and speaks highly of you all in terms of your commitment to beginning a right and holy Lent. So thank you, thank you so much for coming out this past Wednesday. I would invite you to take out your Bible or devices with scripture on them and turn to the fourth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, looking at our Gospel reading this morning from Matthew 4, one through 11. And as you're turning there, I want to begin by giving credit to both Craig Keener and Erasmo, Leva Marikakis, who I've leaned on heavily for this sermon. I used other commentaries as well, but leaned on them very heavily. I'll quote them several times, but want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. Well, today is the first Sunday in Lent, a season which lasts 40 days. Now, Sundays are not counted as part of the 40 days of Lent and you may ask why is that it's because every Sunday is considered a mini Easter It's a celebration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the grave and so therefore Sunday is never a fast day Because the season of Lent closely correlates with Jesus 40 days in the wilderness and his fast during those 40 days Our Gospel reading for this day, the first Sunday in Lent, is always the account of this event. In Sunday, lectionary year A, which we're in there three years in the lectionary cycle, we read the account of Jesus' time in the wilderness from St. Matthew's Gospel. Next year in year B, we'll read it from St. Mark's Gospel, and then the following year in year C, we'll read it from St. Luke's Gospel. Our focus this morning is on this pivotal 40-day event in the life of our Lord. And then i want to look at that and make some specific application to us and our lives and to this season in the life of all saints church jesus 40 days in the wilderness occur immediately after his baptism and god the holy spirit descending and resting upon him it's important to note as we look at this event that most of what is recorded in verses 1 through 11 of matthew chapter 4 takes place at the conclusion of Jesus' 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. And I have a little bit more to say about that later. However, it's imperative that we understand the why, the purpose of Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness. And there are three whys or three specific purposes which I want to highlight this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus went to the wilderness out of obedience. Jesus went in obedience. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 4 makes this abundantly clear, where we read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was compelled as the perfectly obedient Son of God to go to this desolate place. And in this act of obedience, Jesus gives you and me the perfect picture of submission to the will of God. Obedience to go even to the hard or the difficult place. And what we see is godly submission which results in empowerment and triumph over temptation. As Dale Davies and Greg Allison say in their commentary on this passage, to be led by God's spirit has as its result perfect submission to and performance of God's will. Let me repeat that. To be led by God's Spirit has as its result perfect submission to and performance of God's will. Jesus went into the wilderness in obedience to the voice of the Spirit. And again, To make clear, obedience doesn't mean an easy path. As a matter of fact, many times, walking in obedience and fidelity to God will mean a difficult path. Second, Jesus went to fast and pray. While prayer is not specifically mentioned, the clear implication down throughout church history and even in every commentary I checked as I prepared this sermon, is that Jesus was engaged in fasting and intense prayer during these 40 days. Jesus is there in this desolate place, setting aside physical nourishment in order to be nourished by God in preparation for the temptations and the triumph which are to come. This is why when tempted by Satan in verse 3 to turn the stones into bread, Jesus replies, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was setting aside physical concerns to focus on God and spiritual concerns. And the Spirit of God himself was his nourishment at this time. To quote Merakakis, during this long period of fasting, he had been nourished by dialogue and solitude with his father. The breath of God is his direction and his food. On it alone, he subsists. There's so much focus and emphasis on our, and in our culture on taking care of our bodies and healthy physical nourishment. And those things are important. I'm not minimizing the importance of those but too often we give those priority over spiritual nourishment, me first in that. And, and we need to follow the example of our Lord and give priority, sometimes even over physical. Some the third reason Jesus went was to triumph in the midst of testing. The parallel, there is a parallel here, and the parallel and contrast between Old Testament Israel's wandering in the wilderness here must not be missed. Remember, Old Testament Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, often failing in obedience, falling short of God's call, and neglecting the fact that God's sustenance and faithful provision was given for them, both spiritually and physically. In contrast to Old Testament Israel, Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness, fully and perfectly sustained by God's grace and God's sustenance. And he emerges triumphant after being in God's presence, where Israel had fallen short, even though God's presence very clearly went with them in the wilderness. Jesus, through his time in the wilderness, provides for you and me the perfect model of triumph in testing triumph not through human efforts or temporal means, rather triumph through God's presence, God's power, and God's sustenance. So there we have the three answers to the why, the purpose of Jesus going into the wilderness. But something else which we see here, which must, we must always be aware of, is that being empowered by God, and I've touched on this a little bit, walking in the power of God will lead to testing. Did you hear that? It will lead to testing. And too often, even in Christian circles, we hear the complete opposite of this thought. Somehow we'll hear that doing God's will leads to ease, comfort, and a smooth coast in life, or even great temporal and financial prosperity. Or we will hear that something must not be God's will because it's difficult or hard or that difficulty and resistance are the result of sin. Oh, if if they're going through a difficult time, then they must have some hidden sin in their life. Now, to be clear, there are times when difficulties and problems in life are the direct result of disobedience to God and to sin. But many, many times as well, they're the result of walking in full obedience and fidelity to God and we encounter difficulties in this world, we encounter persecutions, we encounter troubles because because of our fidelity to the Lord and walking in obedience to the voice of the Spirit. What we see here with Jesus' baptism followed by his 40 days in the wilderness is not simply coasting along, it's difficulty and trial and tribulation Matthew 4, verses two through three affirm this. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, knowing full well that he was and is. Satan knows what's at stake. So what does he do? He vainly tries to entice Jesus to abuse the power of God for personal ends rather than his father's purposes. Turn these stones into bread. If you bow down and worship me, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. Throw yourself off of this high place. Satan's efforts are in vain, but the temptations were very real. And if we, brothers and sisters, are living as Jesus' disciples, seeking to walk obediently in God's truth and power, why should we expect anything less or anything different in our lives? Because for those who are not committed to a life of faithful discipleship and obedience to Jesus, the evil one already has them where he wants them to be. He's got them. They're under his sway. They're under his control. Again, to quote Maricacus, among those rebellious to God's will and love, nothing remains for him, meaning the enemy to do, and consequently, no drama of temptation and fidelity is in evidence. Satan's already got them, but when we walk in obedience to the will of God, he's gonna pour it on. He's gonna try to cause us to stumble, cause us to fall, draw us away from wholehearted full obedience to our Lord. But here's the beauty of it. God will make us triumphant in Christ, amen? In God's power, through his sustenance, we can prevail in temptation and trial. Our Lord has gone before us himself to assure us of this. Again, to quote Craig Keener, disciples are destined for testing but Jesus, their forerunner, has gone before them and shown them how to overcome. Jesus, brothers and sisters, has shown us how to overcome. Remember, all of this that we're talking about here took place before Jesus really launched into his earthly ministry as Messiah. You have his baptism, the Spirit descending on him, and immediately after that, he was compelled to go into the wilderness for 40 days. This was all in preparation for his earthly ministry. But look what happens at the end of this passage. Verse 11, the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. There's no crowd celebrating this victory, but that in no way diminishes its magnitude or its reality. Satan had bared his inmost malice toward Jesus to no avail what happens? Everything that Satan had tempted Jesus with, the temptation of this false hollow shell of of bread for the body and power, in a temporal sense, what happens? He experiences these things as spiritual realities from his father. Temptation leaves and fulfillment approaches. To quote Merikakis one final time, and this is a little bit longer quote, listen closely, as temptation leaves him, fulfillment approaches. Instead of his eating the bread of Satan, the bread Satan tempted him to create out of stones, angels now wait on him at the heavenly banquet, where the soul nourishment, the exquisite ambrosia, is the word of the Father. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work," John 4:34. Instead of casting himself down from the temple parapet, thus to coerce the Father to send protecting angels so as to prove his love for him before Satan, now the Father, unbidden, sends a host of angels to carry on with their heavenly task of circling joyfully about the eternal wisdom and the darling of God. God provided for Jesus everything that the devil claimed to be able to provide through his lies. So what is God saying to us, All Saints Church, as we enter this season of Lent? What is God's call to us during this season? Well, first of all, God is indeed and clearly calling us to follow the example of our Lord himself. That's a, that's a foregone conclusion. But what I believe God is leading us to as a church is to set aside these 40 days as we do during Lent, but in even greater measure for a special focus on prayer and on fasting and waiting in God's presence. We need to be continually remindful that this, as I've already said, was the final step before moving into his work and his ministry as Messiah for our Lord. I like the subheading in the English Standard Version, of the Bible between verses 11 and 12, and certainly subheadings are not canonical. They're not, you know, they're added for our understanding, but, but this is the subheading. Jesus begins his ministry, very clearly drawing a delineation from the conclusion of the time in the wilderness and the launching into his ministry as Messiah. We too, like our Lord, must prepare for this season of ministry to which God is calling us. COVID is coming to a conclusion, thanks be to God, as we've talked about even at the business meeting. But, but God is calling us in, I believe, into a fresh season of ministry as a church, and we're already on the cusp of that. But we must be prepared, and we must follow the example of our Lord to be prepared for this season. So I'm calling us to commit to prayer daily. Use the prayer book. Use the prayer book as a tool. Learn how to use the prayer book. But I'm calling us to corporate prayer and focused prayer as well. I want to encourage all of you to commit to coming out on Sunday nights from 6 to 7 p.m. on the fourth Sunday of the month to pray together as we seek God for the future. We pray for our community and we'll be doing that tonight. This is the fourth Sunday. But I also want to call us to renewed use of our prayer room. Not that you can't pray in, in this, this space. We can. Not that you can't pray at home. But I'm calling us during these 40 days of Lent to a fresh commitment to using our prayer room. I'm going to ask you to join with the staff and with the and I want to challenge every single one of us every one of us to committing to spending at least one hour a week during these 40 days of Lent using our church's prayer room. There are wonderful resources, there are wonderful tools over there to help you pray in very specific ways. There are prayer requests on each of your pews today, and we would invite you to fill those out. And if it's not a confidential prayer request, there's a place to indicate if it is it will go to the prayer room, and people during this season of Lent will be able to pray for you and for that request. If the request is confidential, um, all of them get dropped out at the prayer kiosk right outside the door to the main church here in in the atrium. But if it's a confidential request, fold it up and drop it in the lockbox, and that will go to a specific group, small group of people who will intercede confidentially for that need. But I want to encourage you to do that. But I do want to encourage all of us again to sign up to use the prayer room during the season of Lent. And then beyond that as well, one hour a week. Now our prayer room is available 24 seven. We have a, it's an outside door. You go out of the atrium, make a right and just follow the sidewalk down until you come to a door down toward the far end of the building and there's a key code and you punch in the code. I'm not gonna tell you the code right now, we'll be glad to give it to you, but I'm on a live stream and the whole cyber world doesn't need to know the code to our prayer room, but that room is available 24/7, So you can come here at two or 3 a.m. and use the prayer room. If you work night work and wanna come after you finish your shift or you're someone who feels very much led and compelled to pray, during the early hours of the morning, you can use our prayer room for that purpose. We're going to have folks over in the prayer room today after this service, thanks to Mother Valerie, who will be giving brief tours of the prayer room with coffee and refreshments. So, see, we, we have to entice you to come over and, and check out the prayer but, room. But, but seriously, um, there are refreshments, and we would, we would I'd encourage everyone to go over who's never been to the prayer room or maybe needs a refresher, and it'll be a short tour to kind of show you the resources that are in that area. We call it prayer room, but there are really three rooms over there, um, resources that are in that area, and things that you can use to pray. God is calling us. God is leading us into a new season of ministry as a church and god will continue to reveal that vision and that call to us as we step into his will in obedience as we prepare our hearts for the ministry that is ahead in my rector's address back at the business meeting i talked about all saints church being a house of prayer for all peoples and indeed as i say over and over god has brought the nations of the world to our doorstep right here in our community and we need god's strategy we need god's power to break through in the difficulties and the walls that we and every other church reaching our community hits so that we can reach the people of this community with the good news and the life of jesus christ so that we truly are a house of prayer for all peoples a community church that reflects the nation's of the world where people come and are set free and families are healed and they find both their physical and their spiritual needs met so that we could be a church in greater measure overflowing with god's love and healing power this is indeed a new season it's a fresh season and we need to know the heart and mind of god we need to be prepared for what God is going to lead us into, knowing that it will involve difficulty, that it will involve challenges, but also knowing that God promises that as we seek him and we seek to be led by his spirit in obedience to his will, he will make us triumph through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer and as we do, Ask God, first of all, what he wants to do in each of our lives. How he is calling you to set aside this season, how he is calling me to set aside this season to draw closer to him. So, as we enter the season of Lent in preparation to celebrate our Lord's death and his triumph over the grave. Lord, search our hearts. Lord, take us to a deeper place in you and an obedience and fidelity to your voice and the truth of your word. God, prepare each of us and all of us together for that to which you are calling us, despite difficulties, despite challenges. Lord, bring us to deeper levels of prayer and fasting, and waiting in your presence. Lord, bring us to deeper levels of repentance and more holy turning to you. Lord, cleanse our hearts of sin. Lord, show us sin in our lives that we may not even be aware of. And Lord, also, show us even stuff in our lives, perhaps even seemingly good things that are crowding out greater space for you and your work in us and in this church. Lord, nourish us and sustain us in this season by your grace. Lord, nourish and sustain us in this season by the grace of your sacraments in the Eucharist. But perhaps not just on Sundays, but you may be calling some more folks to come on Wednesdays and be sustained and strengthened in your presence by the body and blood of our Lord. Speak to us, Lord, and lead us, I pray, that we would truly walk in obedience into what you are calling us to at this time. This church may be a house of prayer for all peoples, and that we will walk triumphant in Christ our Lord. Amen.